Today's episode is brought to you by BCS Wealth Management. BCS Wealth Management is an independent financial planning and investment management company headquartered right here in Johnson City. What's great about BCS Wealth Management is that they're 100% independent, which means there's no big company in New York pulling the strings. BCS Wealth Management is also a fiduciary, which is just a fancy way of saying that they're bound by law to do what's in your best interest. Not everyone who works in financial services is a fiduciary. These folks are. So whether you're in need of a financial plan to keep you on track with your goals, if you're an individual needing a checkup on your personal investments, or a business owner needing an evaluation of your company's retirement plan and other benefits, the highly trained team at BCS Wealth Management is ready to help. Hey friends, and welcome to the Johnson City Living Podcast, where we talk about the people, places, events, and flavors that make Johnson City, Tennessee a lovely place to live. So in the days since we dropped our episode last week, uh, the world has changed, right? I've been wrestling with how to approach this with the podcast here since I have four interviews recorded and they're ready for you, but all of them were done before we had a really solid understanding about how this community we love was going to be impacted by Uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. My plan for right now is to scale back to just publishing one new episode each week. That way, the four interviews we have will get us through the next month or so. So that's the plan right now. But I may also get a little stir crazy and decide to do some interviews by video conference or figure something else out. We'll just have to see. As you listen today, please keep in mind, and, and to the other interviews that we published in the next few weeks, just please keep in mind that we recorded these shows when we didn't know what we didn't know. Uh, hopefully, uh, this podcast can be a pleasant distraction from how we're living life right now. In today's interview, I'm talking with Kristen Spear and Leslie Salling from the United Way of Washington County, Tennessee. Kristen is United Way's president and CEO, and Leslie is director of resource development. The United Way serves Johnson City, Jonesboro, and Washington County and helps provide funding for agencies like the Red Cross, Salvation Army, Coalition for Kids, and Keystone Dental Care. In the interview, Kristen and Leslie talk about how to serve a community in need, and they highlight a new reading program that matches up elementary school kids with a virtual reading buddy to help improve reading skills. It's a really cool program. In times like these, in times like what we're living through right now, we need the United Way more than ever. I hope you'll enjoy today's interview with Kristen Spear and Leslie Salling from the United Way of Washington County, Tennessee. Kristen Spear, Leslie Salling, welcome to the Johnson City Living Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's really cool to have you here. And I will say again, this is a uh, I'm, I'm outnumbered here. This is uh, I'm playing zone defense here. Uh, this is maybe my only second time having two people on the show at once. So I appreciate your patience in advance. Yeah, which that would make it a little more interesting. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, tell me what y'all do for a living. Where do you work? We work for United Way of Washington County, Tennessee. Awesome. And for those who don't know, what does the United Way do for our area? So United Way is a nonprofit um, that supports 21 different nonprofit agencies um, in the community. All of them are focused around health, education, and financial stability. Um, And then we also have our own in-house programming um, that also goes towards those three pillars. Okay. So you have agencies that that you support and are Mm -hmm. kind of uh, related to your organization, and then you run programs of your own 
under those under those uh, umbrellas. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. program areas. Okay. Tell me about like the history of the United Way and, and how it sort of got its origin and, and what it has traditionally meant in our area in terms of raising funds, distributing it. What, what's been the history of the United Way? Yeah, so United Ways generally uh, started more as community chests, local community chests, um, that raised funds um, to meet local community needs, um, and they distributed those out to a lot of the nonprofit agencies that were meeting those needs. Um, over the years, you know, they developed into United Way, um, which was now United Way Worldwide. Um, so we're actually the, lo- the largest nonprofit um, organization in the world, oh, wow. um, if you look at uni- the United Way brand. But all of those are kind of franchised off into your local communities. And so our United Way serves specifically the residents in Washington County, Tennessee. And we decide, based on what our local community needs are, how we distribute those funds um, and, you know, how we make community impact. So. Okay. And, you know, you talk about being part of a larger organization, a, a worldwide organization. Yep. But uh, the, the money that you distribute, the money that you raise and distribute, it all comes from the, our area, correct? It does. It does. All of the funds that we have to distribute come from residents in Washington County and our surrounding areas that, you know, live, work, or play in our area um, and want to support our local community. Um, so there's there's not magical income that comes from D.C. or New York or, or someplace like that? No. You know, every now and then you'll have somebody that's a, a Washington County resident that maybe moves out to California or Texas and they still want to support their local community. Um, but 99.9% of it comes from right here. Okay. Raised here locally and then yep. also is invested locally in the agencies. It is. It is. Um, I know you have quite a list of agencies that you support. I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you rattle them okay. all off. But um, it, within your those those your areas of uh, your target areas, mm-hmm. what are a few of the agencies? Just give us an example of, to give us a, uh, an idea. Yeah, so education is obviously our largest concentration, um, you know, because that's really where you can break that cycle of poverty. And if you invest in education, better our community. Um, So we have a lot of agencies we support there, including Boys and Girls Club of Johnson City, Washington County, Girls Inc., Coalition for Kids, um, both school systems. Uh, Most people don't realize that we support programs in Johnson City and Washington County schools um, that provide shoes, clothing, food, school supplies, anything to students um, that they don't have the means to otherwise uh, receive. And so we're excited to, to have those programs. If you look at the health category, you've got adult day services. Um, you've got the Crumley House, Appalachia Service Project, uh, Project Access, connecting people who are uninsured to donated medical care. Um, and then if you look at financial stability, you've got the Salvation Army, Family Promise, American Red Cross, just to mention a few. Um, and again, there's 21, so I didn't name all of those, but that just kind of gives you an idea of just some of the, the local um, nonprofits we support. Yep. I know that the United Way goes through a process called a needs assessment in the community mm-hmm. every X number of years, and I've forgotten how many how often that is. But d- talk to me about how you stay in touch with what our community needs and how does that change over time? Yeah, so we do. We generally did a community needs assessment every five years. Um, we did not do one in 2018 because of the ballot health merger. Um, they are required to do one every three years. Um, so their community needs assessment combined with our ALICE report gives us a very comprehensive picture um, of what the community needs are. So instead of duplicating that process, we just kind of partner together um, and work together to establish a, a better community needs assessment that tells us where are we in education, where are we in health, 
financial stability. We're all working towards the same goals. And just to be honest with you, those community needs haven't changed in the past 15 to 20 years. Okay. All right. Um, okay. You mentioned a, a term in there that I wasn't familiar with. What, yeah. What's an ALICE report? ALICE. So ALICE stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. So this is a group of individuals that you have probably been more familiar with as the working poor. Um, and we want to recoin that phrase to Alice. So these are the people in our community that are working hard to make a living. They're trying to be honest, taxpaying citizens, trying to make ends meet, raise their families, but they're one emergency away from being homeless. They're one flat tire away from, you know, not being able to pay rent. Um, and so we released the Alice report um, in September of last year. It is the most comprehensive report on poverty in the state of Tennessee. It um, was a partnership with all of the United Ways in Tennessee. Um, we put this together, and uh, you, can, you can view the full report online at unitedforalice.org. But it breaks down every individual county in Tennessee. So if you want to see what the Alice population looks like in Washington County, you can do that. If you want to see what it looks like in our eight-county region, you can do that. Um, or if you want to see how Nashville's doing. Yeah. Um, so it's a really neat... You know, it's not something that we we didn't know existed, but now it just kind of shines the light and shows us the proof of exactly what that population looks like. So, give I don't have any frame of reference for for that. So, like, yeah, how many people are we talking in our area that that fit that description? Yeah, so poverty level is fifteen percent in our community, and that's pretty much standard when it comes to you know across the state of Tennessee. Um, so, Alice actually for the state of Tennessee uh, represents between poverty and Alice is 39%. Here in Washington County, we're actually much higher. We're 45%. So 15% of our residents in Washington County live in poverty. Another 30% are considered Alice. So they're, again, one emergency away from being homeless. And that's 45% of people working in our area. Wow. So, so again, it's, it's, one flat tire. It's a if mm -hmm. you if you do happen to own a home, it's a it's a, a big appliance going out or a roof or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's these. This is a lot of people are extremely vulnerable economically. Oh yeah. Just to give you an example, so in Washington County, Tennessee, we have fifty three thousand seventy one households. Forty five percent of those are considered Alice or poverty. Wow. That's a big number. Yeah. 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 So just a couple of things that, that kind of go into that so that you know how that was calculated. So federal poverty level is calculated at like $12,060 for a single adult, and it's 24600 for family. Okay. So that's that 15% that fall into that poverty level, make those amounts or less. So our minimum wage back in 2017, which hasn't changed, is $7.25 an hour. So full-time, that's $14,500 a year. So our basic cost, if you go from 2007 to 2017, basic cost increased 23% for a single adult in 10 years and 31% for a family of four. And basic cost, that's uh, the cost of shoes, the cost of milk, the mm -hmm. cost of electricity, things yep. like that. Compared to a 22% inflation. Yeah. But our minimum wages, our wages have stayed the same. Yeah. Um, so it's no wonder um, that an increased amount of our population is struggling to survive. Yeah. So we've got, you know, when you look at the data, it's not a particular race, ethnicity, 
It's not necessarily a particular age. Um, it's not a particular type of household necessarily, you know, that is Alice. They're everywhere. Um, one of the, the big statistics that really stood out to me, though, is when you look at the single parents. Um, so 84% of single moms in our community are Alice, wow. or poverty. 66% of the single dad households are Alice or poverty. Yeah. You know, so that's a one-income household trying to raise children. Um, and if you look at what it takes to survive in Washington County, a single adult just living by themselves, you know, just trying to afford the basic necessities. This is not fancy cell phones or anything like that. They need to make $9.29 an hour just to survive, barely. If you've got two adults, one infant and one preschooler, you know, you're paying for daycare and a lot of other expenses, combined, those parents need to make $26.95 an hour. So that could be one of them makes, you know, $13 and the other makes $13.95. Mm-hmm. That could be one parent, yep. you know, making $26.95. That's what it takes to raise just a family. to cover costs. That's just basic not needs. Not putting money aside in the bank. No. That's not retirement plan. That's not no. saving for college. That's that's just paying the bills. That's just barely putting food on the table and a yeah. roof over your head. Yes. Yeah. So it's very eye-opening. It is. And so, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do now as United Way, now that we have the data, um, is one, make people aware of it. You know, talk about Alice so that more people are familiar with it. Um, But really start this grassroots movement around this population. Um, You know, because you've got your poverty level that we're, we're trying to help and a lot of our agencies are trying to help. But what about that population that's always forgotten, that Alice population? Because they're working. Yep. They are surviving, but just barely. So how do we kind of wrap some supportive services around that population to you know, help them and boost them out of that Alice piece to where they're stable financially and we don't have to worry about them falling into poverty? So one thing that, that jumps into my mind when you say that is, is that project access that uh-huh. you were talking about that links people who who may not be able to uh, afford health care, may not have insurance. I, I'm not entirely sure how the program, but but, mm-hmm. but with affordable care or donated care in the area, right? Yep. Can you elaborate on how Project Access works a little bit? Yeah, so Project Access um, was established because you see a lot of emphasis, um, especially with Ballot Health, on more preventative care, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so a lot of the cost or the uncollected uh, funds that they have come from emergency room visits from people that are uninsured, right? They can't refuse to care for them. Um, so what they decided to do was establish this organization that could help get these people that desperately need medical care, some medical care maybe donated, um, or get them insurance depending on their situation, so that you don't see this reoccurring cost and visits to the ER, mm-hmm. right? Uh, most of the people, there's a very um, lengthy screening process that they have to go through, um, but most of these people are in desperate need um, for surgeries, um, for chemo, different things like that. And for whatever reason, they're not able to obtain insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of having these people repeatedly go to the ER, you know, they're able to connect with Project Access. They get millions of dollars worth of donated medical care per year, and they walk them through getting them set up for these procedures and these follow-ups and you know hopefully eventually one day they can have a job and get insurance Um, but some of these people have major health care issues that don't allow them to get a job Um, and so they're kind of in that that pickle to where 
they need the medical services, but they have no other way to get them. And Project Access really helps to kind of reduce that barrier and hopefully get them taken care of before it becomes a, a life or death situation. And so it's a link between uh, the individual mm-hmm. and then the 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 service provider on the other end. Yeah. So the, the medical provider on the other end. Yeah. And it could be multiple medical providers. Yeah. You know, some of these patients are to the point of, you know, needing lots of medical procedures because their health is so bad. Yeah. So. I remember I used to be on the board of Keystone Dental Care uh, yeah. a long time ago. And um, I remember hearing stories of, you know, somebody who's in pain but can't afford care. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do? You, yeah. you go to the ER because you have, you know, extreme dental pain that, yeah. that's that's overpowering. Like you can't, you know, it's it's all consuming. Yeah. And so that's, that's probably a visit that shouldn't be an ER visit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the person does need care. Yeah. And so there needs to be a place for for somebody to get that care. Exactly, exactly. And so they've just really been able, they're one of the new agencies that we brought on this past year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've been really excited to partner with them, and um, they do a lot of great work um, that's much needed in our community. I imagine identifying these Alice households takes it takes some effort on your part to identify these mm-hmm. these households and, and tabulate this data and all that so what does that process look like look like in your office getting this information on this uh, on kind of this invisible segment of the society yeah so we actually partner um, with United for Alice so they started out of New Jersey um, and it's some professors from Rutgers University um, that had really started this process and they kind of developed this phrase of Alice for their local community. Um, and it was so well received and, and very valuable information that they now, I think we were the 21st state um, to implement the ALICE report. Um, and what that does is they come down and they do a lot of research and they take a lot of different data and they kind of compile it um, for us. Um, so we pay to do that. And then we have a local research advisory committee that also helps them. Um, so for Northeast Tennessee, we had Lottie Ryans mm-hmm. um, with First Tennessee Development District, and she was able to really help kind of guide them for some Northeast, um, you know, part of the state um, data. One of the cool things about Alice is it takes into account the cost of living in each community. Mm. So you can't say that, you know, the cost for cable is the same across the state, right? right? Because that's going to vary. The same for daycare and transportation. Um, So they break it down into each individual community, and that's why it makes it so unique. So in Washington County, you may have to make $9.29 an hour to survive. But in Williamson County, that may be... $15.29. You know, it can vary uh, based on each individual community. So they kind of put it all together for us um, so that they make sure that there's no subjective data in there. But they also have the local research advisory committee that kind of helps them. And then we kind of put it together um, as United Ways and we start, you know, getting it out there into the community and start utilizing that to direct our programs and services. Okay. So. One thing that's um, uh, I, I've been involved in with the United Way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've noticed that's that's different, and new, and I and I think is a, is an improvement is y- you all seem to be taking initiative on a lot of new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, why don't you describe to me a few of the initiatives that y'all do under your own roof? Yeah. Um, either to, to to bring in more dollars, or connect people together, or to to reach out to the community. Yeah. So you know, I took this role. It's been two years now. Um, and I'd been heavily involved with United Way um, in my banking career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that I knew is that I wanted us to make a bigger impact mm-hmm. than what we were making. And we have the platform to do that. Um, we started looking at what the biggest problems in our community were. Okay. I mean, there's a lot. Um, yeah. And so you can kind of um, 
get blindsided by some of them, but we really want it to be laser focused. Um, and if you look at our three pillars, health, education, and financial stability, there's some pretty easy ones you can identify. So if you look at education, third grade reading proficiency, right? You hear everybody talk about that. It's so important for our children to be reading by third grade. So why is that important? Well, if our kids are not reading proficiently by third grade, then they are four times more likely to drop out of high school. And then if they drop out of high school, they're 75% more likely to be incarcerated at some point in their life. So that third grade reading metric is very, very important. So in our community, believe it or not, between both of our school systems, 52% of our children were still not reading proficient by third grade. So we immediately identified that that's one of our biggest needs, right? Because to end the cycle of poverty, you've got to get our kids educated. We've got to get them graduating high school, and we've got to get them moving on to a secondary degree or post-secondary degree um, so that they can have a career and not end up in Alice, you know? So we implemented a virtual volunteer reading program called VELO. It doesn't stand for anything. Um, it's like hello, but virtual. So it's called VELO. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I know just from, you know, the way that our, our economy is changing and the way that our businesses are changing, it's everybody's doing a lot more with less employees, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it makes it a lot harder, um, you know, back from the banking days. We can't send a team of people out of the bank to go volunteer. We have to have that team of people just to operate. Right. So volunteer opportunities are few and far between during school hours. So how do we connect volunteers with limited availability to children in our school system? The only way to do that is virtual, especially yeah. when you take into account our county schools that are very spread out. Yep. Um, so Velo is a one-on-one -on -one guided reading program. It offers simple screen sharing capability and audio, and it allows us to connect background check volunteers to students virtually. So that way they can do better in school and in life. So somebody can, you can, if I'm sitting in my office, yeah. I can get on my laptop yep. and I can talk with AJ, who's my reading partner at the elementary school. Absolutely. Live in real time. Live in real time. We ask our volunteers to commit to 30 minutes per week. Yeah. The difference in our program, you don't see the student, they don't see you. Okay. So there's no visual component. Yeah. The student screen shares with you, very much like a WebEx. Uh -huh. So you can see their library of books and the book that they select to read, and then you talk to them. Oh, wow. So you can help them sound out words. Um, you can help encourage them. Believe it or not, you actually build relationships with these students, even virtually. Mm -hmm. um, and so we actually implemented um, twice a year, once around Christmas and once at the end of the school year, we throw velo parties at our schools, so you get to go meet the students yeah. that you're volunteering with. And it's amazing the bonds and the relationships that we see these students and volunteers form. Um, I have one student, just to give you an example of the impact that this can have. Um, one student, um, he went to Mountain View Elementary School, and we have all the second grade classrooms there. And so I had been reading with this little boy for several weeks, and he really, really struggled. So he finally one day got the word alligator right. Okay, that was a pretty tough word for yeah. him. And so he got it right, and I said, oh, gosh, I'm so proud of you. You got alligator right. And he stopped and said, what did you say? And I said, I'm so proud of you. You got the word alligator right. He said, nobody's ever told me that. So come to find out, you know, this little boy is raised by his grandmother. Um, he's very food insecure. He doesn't have that support system. And so me being on the other end of that line and telling him that I was proud of him that day, that's a game changer. Wow. That's the difference that you can make just from your desk, 
from your home, from your cell phone. You can even do this from your cell phone. So there's no excuse why anybody should not be able to volunteer. And the volunteers that are doing it absolutely love it. Wow. Yeah, 30 minutes a week. Yeah. Everybody's got that. So, okay, so let's let's dive into this fully. If, if yeah. somebody wanted to, to get involved, mm-hmm. what do they do? They email you or, or how do they get involved in Velo? Yeah, they can, they can go to our website. Mm-hmm. So it's uwowc.org. There's a Velo page. They can submit a, a form to volunteer. They can call our office. Um, they can shoot us an email, you know, any means of communication. They can message us on Facebook. Um, any means of communication, and we'll be happy to, to get them involved. Wow. How many people do you have reading for you right now? So this year, the really cool thing, um, this is our second year doing it, is we decided we really needed more volunteers, mm-hmm. okay? So we have this great thing in Tennessee called the Tennessee Promise Scholarship, mm-hmm. which requires that our high school students have oh, eight yeah. hours of volunteer time. Uh-huh. Well, our biggest barrier for those students graduating and getting the scholarship is those volunteer hours. Mm-hmm. So we said, what if we utilized high school students to be our volunteers? Yeah. So we did it as a trial this year, and so all of the high schools are participating, and it's gone over so well. I think we'll be able to use a lot more students next year. But right now we have a little over 400 volunteers oh between goodness. high school students, local businesses that have formed teams, um, and then just local community members. Yeah. Um, so 400 volunteers that are dedicating their time every week to helping these students read. That's extraordinary. And that's yeah. it's for kids that are third grade and below, or, or how does that work? Yep, so most of them are first through third grade, okay. um, because obviously that third grade is that, that benchmark. Um, our initial focus was second grade, but we found that we can also make an impact with some first graders and even some third graders that are still a little behind. Yeah. So. That's so interesting to me that, that addressing, you know, larger issues in the community, you have to kind of reverse engineer and go lower and lower, like deeper, 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 deeper to yeah. find uh, what's really going to make a difference. Yeah. And so we look at the graduation rates and boy, it would be cool if more kids were graduating high school, but yeah. you have to go back and like many levels lower and see yeah. like what's actually going on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it starts at a very, very early age. Um, and, and being able to mentor them and them see that, you know, volunteers actually, you know, work at a bank or they work at the power company and they're taking their time to volunteer, even high school students. Hopefully one day, you know, they're going to in turn give back. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're really hoping with the high schoolers and having them volunteer is that we're going to instill this sense of volunteerism at a much earlier age mm-hmm. um, so that it's kind of engraved in them and that they want to give back. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Um, I know y'all are also doing some some things that uh, to bring uh, professionals uh, and, and different people together uh, to to raise awareness about uh, issue, may, number one make connections, but also raise awareness about the issues in our communities so that yep. so that they can get involved. What are some of those programs or initiatives that y'all run uh, for professionals in our area? Yeah, so I'll let Leslie kind of tell you about some of those um, because she's really been heading up all of those. But we do. We have a couple of amazing programs called Emerging Leaders and Women United. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about that. So I'll start with our Women United. Um, We started that last year called the Women's Leadership Society. And it was a time that we could get really powerful um, women in our community together to network to um, make a difference in our community, to hear from other women in leadership positions, and just have that empowerment for women in our community. And it went over so well that we brought it back this year as a membership um, group, 
and that's gone over really well too. Um, we have our first meeting in March and um, we're just excited. We're excited to get this group of women together to empower each other, to hear from powerful women um, and make a huge difference in the community. One thing the group is really excited about is giving back to the community um, during our week of caring, which is in June. And so they're gonna get together as a group um, and go to Girls Inc., which is one of our partner agencies. And they're going to have lunch. They're going to provide lunch for the girls who are in the summer camp and do a service project for them. Um, They're throwing out some ideas now and getting that plan together. um, But they're really excited to, again, be in that mentorship role for these girls, um, show them that women can work at the power company and at places like Crown Labs. And, you know, they can do these really cool jobs and um, as women and um, just be those strong women and see that. That's really cool. So typically the week of caring, it's it's an employer-based thing, right? Where you get a team from your office or, or your shop, wherever you work, and then you together go out and pick a project. But this is a situation where you have people who are coming together and saying, no, because I'm part of this group that covers a lot of different employers, a lot of different backgrounds, I want to go with these particular people and do this project. That's really cool and different. Yeah, we're still doing the employee piece of it. Um, We have a lot of um, corporations and businesses that are really excited about it this year. Um, We're excited about Women United getting together for this particular cause and going to that specific agency that helps young girls, you know, feel empowered. And that's their mission. So we're really excited about them doing that. Awesome. How would, um, who's that for and how would somebody get involved with that? Sure. They Again, we have a uh, face, um, we, well, it is on our Facebook page, but um, they can go on our website. Uh, we have a link there and they can sign up. Um, it is $250 a year for the membership fee. Um, a lot of women can either pay that by themselves or a lot of their companies will pay it for them. Um, but that's to pay for these impact projects and lunch and things like that. Um, and anything that we receive from those will either go to the lunches or to make a bigger impact in the community. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. And then Emerging Leaders? Yeah, so Emerging Leaders is a little bit newer. Uh Um, They started last year, um, and it's really picked up since then as well. And we're trying to grow the group this year. That's kind of our mission for this year is to grow the group. Um, But this is a group of what it's called, Emerging Leaders. Um, And not necessarily young professionals, which we do have a lot of young professionals in the group. Um, But we're really focusing on anybody who is sort of that either the mid-level leadership, maybe they're new to leadership. Um, our co-chair is um, a new leader. She you know, was put in a leadership position and never had been in a position like that before. And uh, the company she worked for didn't really give her a lot of resources to um, you know, know what that's like or how to you know, lead her employees. And so she came over with us and has grown a lot as a leader Um, and that's what we're looking to do with them is just have some um, really empowering people speak to them about leadership what that looks like and they're going to do the week of caring as well Um, they'll pick a project that goes along with their mission and pick something that has to do with leadership and how to grow that interesting to me as i sit here that that um, in an organization that's historically known for for giving bring people together to to give uh, money away and give resources is is now um you know in the space of 
of leadership and, and training and providing resources on leadership too. So I'm curious about the, uh, the link there of, of giving and leadership and how closely those two things are tied. Uh, you know, is, is that on purpose intentional? Like, like giving is, good leaders give and, and, and good givers are leaders? Yeah, it's, it's very intentional. Um, you know, and if you look at um, just our, our different age groups in society, you know, millennials give a lot differently than Gen Xers or baby boomers. Um, and so what you find is that, that a lot of your younger generations have to be involved and have to be passionate about something, and then the giving will follow. So they want to get their hands dirty They first. want to get their hands dirty first, you know, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, when they're in college, which we have a very big college demographic here, here locally, um, they've got to be you know, very in tune with your mission and what you're doing before they're going to be willing to open up their wallets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got to be able to build better leaders to be able to run our community. Um, and we've got to instill not only the sense of volunteerism, but the sense of giving, mm-hmm. um, you know, because a lot of historically, a lot of our givers are aging. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in retirement age, they're passing away. Um, and so we've got to think differently um, about how we fundraise and how we involve people. Um, and a lot of people may not have the ability. I mean, I just talked about 45% of our population that can, can barely survive, right? Yeah. So they can volunteer and make just as big of an impact as they can as donating. Um, and they're still giving back and improving their community. So we're doing it very intentionally um, because there's other ways for us to improve the community um, other than just giving out money. Yeah. Um, and honestly, we need to be more valuable to the community. Um, we need to be more than just fundraisers. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to be the hand raisers. We've got to be the game changers. We have to be the people that stop talking and start doing. Um, and that's, that's the difference in the United Way now versus what you've known for the past 20 years. Yeah, yep, um, yeah. That's great. As an organization, y'all y'all do so well at, um, at at partnering with other organizations, with people, um, so that you're successful, and so that other people are successful too. Um, that being said, if you all had a wish list for your organization, what would be on your wish list of if we had this in place, you know, by this time next year, uh, we'd really be rocking and rolling. Yeah, you know, a lot of it comes down to funding, um, you know, of course. And so we are a very, very small um, office. You know, we have, including myself, four employees. Um, and we do so much. We've only talked about a couple of the programs we do here today, and that's not even a fourth of what we do. Yeah. Um, and so that takes a lot of, of manpower. Yeah. Um, and so having more staff for us would probably be at the top of the list to be able to do more programming, to be able to raise more funds, to be able to work with more of the community. Um, but of course, that comes back to, to funding. Mm-hmm. Um, we've started doing a lot of grant writing now that we have our own programming as well. We've got a lot of grant funding coming in, um, but that also, as we develop more programs and we do more things, that takes more manpower. Yeah, there's administration that goes along. Absolutely, with, you know. absolutely. I wish that there, you know, there wasn't, you know, all of that manpower required. But at the end of the day, that's really what we do is, you know, we're the people behind the, the change. Um, and so we've got to we've got to have more resources to be able to make more change. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, connecting with the United Way, uh, if you are listening to John City Living and you are a, a, a leader uh, or if you desire to be a leader or if you're just somebody who cares about your community and wants uh, a, a better environment for for everybody. Uh, for yourself, for your kids, grandkids, uh, the people, your friends and neighbors who are working hard but are 
they're in the Alice situation. They work hard, but it's really hard to get get ahead. Um, getting involved with the United Way, either by giving, volunteering, becoming an emerging leader, uh, joining Women United, um, you won't regret your, your involvement with the United Way. Kristen and Leslie, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right.